when I, when I spent, when I got that mentorship course, I put almost all my money into it. I think it was $7,000 total that I had. I put it all towards that. And I just, I was going to use credit cards to pay for marketing. And like, I don't always advise that for everyone, but like, you want to know if there was a fire under my ass after that? Absolutely. Yep. That was all my money. Yeah, better make it work. It's like, it's almost like putting a gun to your own head. Like do it, do it, do it, finish it, do the work you said you're going to do. And so I think that's important to consider what is, what is significant for you in terms of an investment. You're listening to the, we love equity real estate show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor, best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. And today I'm truly excited because I get a chance to talk with someone that's doing pretty much the same thing that I'm doing. He's wholesaling from Denver to Indianapolis, and I do things from Phoenix to Chicago. So we're crossing paths in a sense, but this is our first time actually getting a chance to meet virtually. So I want to bring to the virtual stage and to our podcast, Chris Gould, who is based out of Denver, but wholesaling in the Indianapolis market. So you have two different markets. You have a high price market in Denver, and then you have a more so Midwest blue collar Rust Belt state mm-hmm. where the median prices are, you know, between 200 and 150 or below. Mm-hmm. So Chris, man, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marcus. I'm excited to be on here and uh, good to talk to someone that's doing pretty much the exact same thing I am. Absolutely, man. So we, we're not going to hold back on this episode, guys. So if you're listening, grab your pen, your paper, your iPad, make sure you take good notes, especially if you are looking to virtual wholesale. So Chris, tell me, man, what's your backstory? How did you, what did you do before real estate investing? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, just going back, my my family was in the, you know, the real estate crash in 08. We stopped paying our mortgage for a year and a half, two years, almost lost a house. Financial insecurity was just a part of our everyday existence, you know, as mm-hmm. kids. You know, anytime we went out to eat, it's like you were felt you were kind of guilted because it's like, well, you know, we really shouldn't be doing this. And so right. just from a young age, I was like, you know what? I just I wanna, I don't want that for myself or my family for any of that. So Fast forward, go through college. I was going to be a lawyer, decided I don't want to do that at all. I want this time freedom. And so I get a job, corporate America, you know, I'm doing the rat race, trying to be a good boy and get a gold star and all that stuff. I work my butt off for a whole year to be the salesperson of the year in my, in my company. And 
I was supposed to get a $10,000 bonus. And so I got, I got the bonus, but after taxes, it was like 6,000. And I'm like, man, I just worked all year for $6,000. Right. And I was like, can I even buy anything with this? I'm like, what about an FHA? And I, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. So oh, this wow. is the birth of the virtual wholesaling side of things. And I was like, I can't even rent a nice apartment for $6,000, you know? And so I'm like, you know what? I got to start doing something different. So someone told me about wholesaling. I got a course from Sean Terry, you know him. And Okay. Yeah. Sean Terry right here in Phoenix. Exactly. And I think I, I think, you know, I took that $6,000 I had, I didn't have a much more above that. And I, I spent like 2000 of it on a course, which is a lot of money. I think that that's important when you start off, like if you're trying to go through YouTube Academy only and do it all free, like you can, but it's just going to take you way longer. You know, it is, it is. So, uh, started doing PPC nationwide, trying to get sellers based off what I found from Sean's course, but like, didn't really know what I was doing. Finally got a guy who said he would sell me his house at what I thought was a discount. Uh-huh. I overnight mailed him a contract with a overnight return inside yep. of it because I didn't know about DocuSign. Okay. Okay. So he got it, signed it, sent it back to me. And that just turned into a nightmare deal. It took six months. I made $3,000. And I was like, you know what? This business isn't worth it. I got to get out uh-huh. of this. This is a scam. This might even be illegal. <laughs> so, right. Immediately so, start thinking all of the negatives, not looking right. at, you know what? I just made $3,000 on a house that, cause did you, cause you never been to the house, right? No, no, I, I'd never been to it. And you know what you said, like looking at the positive or the negative before I started getting some wins under my belt as an entrepreneur, like there's just so much negative self-talk that can be yep. around, you know, that, yep. You kind of have to, it's like double hard because you're trying to learn everything, but you're also fighting against all this stuff that says, be realistic, just stay your job, focus on the stability Mm -hmm. and all that. And so before I said, let me shut this down, a lead came in, turned into another house. It was like, ended up being a $5,000 wholesale, but there was title issues. And I said, I'm going to, you know what, like whatever, if this closes cool, but I'm going to focus on my job again. So I'm focusing on my job. And a couple months later, I just get an email. It says, Hey, the title work finally cleared. You're getting paid on this house. So I had this $5,000 and I was like, you know what? I could just stash this. I could go on vacation or I could hire a mentor. So I ended up going, hired a mentor, started dialing in my processes, picked one market instead of being all over the place, picked Indianapolis and just kind of rolled it from there. Like keeping money in the business, you know, not going out and buying a new car, Mm -hmm. not going out and buying new clothes and new shoes and like all the experiences. Cause I really saw the vision of like time freedom down the road yep, from that. Yep. So hired an employee, couple of JV partners. I think that's important when you start off virtual wholesaling, like JV partners are so helpful to you, especially if you don't have a lot of yep, money. Yep. Um, well, you but, know what, Chris, let's mm-hmm, do this uh, before we get too far down the road, yeah. <laughs> because I understand everything that you're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. been there done that, doing it still, you know? So let's kind of go back to the beginning. So you were working this job, this sales Mm -hmm. job, right? And you Mm -hmm. said, you know what? I want to try something different. Mm -hmm. And you took that $2,000 and you bought that course. What were you thinking, you know, at the time to say, you know what? I really want to do this. Was it, I want to do this or I want to try this to see if it works. What, if you can remember, what was your thought pattern then? Yeah. I think Tony Robbins talks about like the pain of staying the same has to rise to a level great enough for you to make a change. And so, you know, I was sitting there, I'm living in this little crappy apartment in LA and I 
just, I wasn't going to be able to accelerate in my life as fast as I wanted to. And the pain of that, the pain of like, I'm capable, like I have greater potential than this. I know I do. Mm -hmm. And I just like, there, as much as I didn't have wins, like there was this belief that was just like, I'm destined for more than this. So once I found that outlet, it became like, I was obsessed with it once I got started, but like the pain of staying the same became too great for me. And I think that that was at the core of it. Yeah. And I, I tell people, you know, there's this little flicker inside of you. Like you said, you knew that you was destined for, for, for much greater. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know how to get there, but you felt internally like I'm better than this. I can do something better than this. And you begin to search and try and find out, well, what is that better? So guys, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking directly to you. You know, I know you have that burning desire inside of you. You're thinking, Hey, I'm better than where I am. You're absolutely right. You are better than where you are, but that pain of staying the same has to be a lot greater than where you are. So take that advice right there from Chris and just get out there and you have to take that jump. I'm pretty sure spending that $2,000, you were thinking, man, you know what? This could be two months worth of rent. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, groceries. It could be whatever, but you say, you know what? I'm going to take, take this leap of faith. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely what it was. And, you know, I think also it's the amount of money you spend, it's got to be proportional to what you have, you know? So I spent a third of all my money and it took me a year to get that money. So to me, it was huge. If you, if you're making 200 grand a year and you're thinking about getting into wholesaling, $2,000, you probably won't even watch that course. You probably watch one video and be like, I'll watch it later. Or you give it to someone else to do. So I think like, there's an aspect in the beginning that people, you know, I get it. Cause like, I didn't want to spend money, but then I realized I have to bet on myself. Yep. Like, and that once you bet on yourself and you put, you know, when I, when I spent, when I got that mentorship course, I put almost all my money into it. I think it was $7,000 total that I had. I put it all towards that. And I just, I was going to use credit cards to pay for marketing. And like, I don't always advise that for everyone, but like, you want to, know if there was a fire under my ass after that. Absolutely. Yep, that was yep, all my money. Yeah. I better make it work. You know, it's like, it's almost like putting a gun to your own head, like do it, do it, do it, finish it, you know, do the work you said you're going to do. And so, you know, I think that's important to consider, you know, what is, what is significant for you in terms of an investment? 2000 might be crazy to you, but can you spend 500 and get a course, you know, whatever, yep. whatever it might be. So. Yep. You're, you're absolutely right. And that mentorship is, is very, very key. Like you said, you guys, you can go to YouTube university, you can sit there and you can watch videos for months, but it's that whole accountability piece. When there's somebody on the other side saying, Hey, did you do your marketing? Or why didn't you talk to that seller? It makes you have to rise to that level of expectation of that mentor to say, Hey, you know what? I did make the calls. I did do what I was supposed to do. And the more you do that, the closer you are to achieving that goal of getting that first deal. So Chris, When you got that first deal, man, you said it was PPC. You went through Sean Terry's course. Big ups to Sean Terry, man. He's he's definitely a good guy. So when you when you got that first deal, kind of what was going through your head on that? You know, when the seller called, you know, did you know what to say? Did you know what to do or anything like that? No, man, I didn't know. You know, those early courses and some of, you know, this is back in 2016, there was no discussing like sales psychology at all. So it was just all numbers all in the logic brain. And so 
it really just became like, I would look at Zillow and I would try to look at some comps and I would just ask them what they wanted. And if they wanted low enough based on me saying no repairs, no commissions, I would just say, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to, <laughs> I tried to wholesale the deal to a FHA conventional buyer. <laughs> and I was like, yep, here you go. Here's an assignment. You here. So then they go to their bank and they're like, hey, here's a cash offer and an assignment to us. We want to do an FHA loan. And they're like, what are you crazy? You can't you, do that. Yeah, you can't do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> so it took so long. And, you know, it, I, I, looking back, like, it's like, man, I feel bad that I didn't know totally what I was doing. Luckily, I got the deal done eventually. But like, there's some of those that clunkiness that you go through where it's just like, you just don't quite know at the beginning what you don't know. But yep. if you're taking action, like you better believe that I learned that lesson hard because it wasn't from a book. It wasn't something in a course. It mm-hmm. was from my own stumble. When you stumble on your own, you don't forget those. That's right. That's that's absolutely true. And there's there's only so much education you can get from the courses in the books, because like you said, there's these small little nuances that you can't get until you're actually out there doing it. You know, so like the title lady, she'll tell you, well, you can't do this or you need to switch this. You can't do this. One of one of my earlier issues was, you know, what I sent all of my contracts to a title company that wasn't investor friendly. So they wouldn't do assignments and everything like that. So it was a red flag for my seller you know, because then I was like, oh, well, we need to switch title companies. Well, while we got to switch title companies. So it was a whole bunch Mm. of red flags, but I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have got into the minutia of doing everything and finding out those problems. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Learning from experience is huge. So. Yep. Yep. So you get that first deal closed, you get this second deal of the $5,000 and you're doing this and, and, Man, kudos to you because you started out with virtual wholesaling. So you you didn't walk properties. You didn't go belly, belly to belly with sellers. So it was all doing everything over the phone. It's kind of tough to get started in that way. But you guys listening, this is what Chris did. So if Chris can do it, you can do it also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Marcus, you know, I think the thing about it that looking back now, what it forced me to do is dial in my processes very quickly. And, you know, I didn't have the option to get in the car and drive out and save the deal by Mm -hmm. going to the house. I had to do things in the right way, in the right order. If I forget to put a lockbox on the house, I can't just drive over and put it on. If I don't have, you know, an inspector go over, I have to, there's so much coordination. And so in a lot of ways, I think that it actually now has created the fruits of that that early starting point of being virtual. Because now I look at other companies and I look at us and I'm like, I think we're more dialed than most other companies that I come across for the size that we are. So, you know, it's possible if you start it that way. So let's let's kind of talk about that. Let's talk about the processes and systems that's needed to be a successful virtual wholesaler. So kind of starting out. Okay. So are you still doing strictly PPC or are you doing cold calling, direct mail, kind of what's your marketing strategy right now? So we're heavy on direct. Okay. I like open letter marketing and also yellow letter HQ. Those are the two guys that we go between. We get about a 7X ROI on that. We spend twenty to $25,000 a month on that. Okay. So that's a, that's a really good one for us. We do cold calling. That's just at like a 2X ROI and it's a okay. very slow 
process for us to turn those leads into deals. It's a lot of crap leads, but you yep. know, there's some good ones in there. We buy some web leads online. So there's a couple of different auction sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I speed lead, need to sell my house fast. We'll sometimes yep. buy leads on there. At any given time, they're like crazy expensive. And then sometimes they go back down. Yep. We did text messaging, but found that it wasn't really producing great results. And it was a lot of leads that our follow-up spl- specialist had to process. We could talk about follow-up specialists later, but yep. they, they were having to process so many unmotivated sellers because we mm. were pushing so much through with texting yep. and we just didn't have the, the ability to process those. So we're kind of missing good ones because we're having to go through so many some, bad ones. Yep. yep. And let me see what else we do. We do some decent referrals that come through actually. And I think that that's all of our, that's all of our current avenues right now. Okay. So with direct mail, you're getting a seven to one ratio. So for every dollar you put in, you're getting seven out. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then for cold calling one or two, every dollar you put in, you're getting two out. So guys, you're hearing some, some real life metrics here. So with that being said, so your focus right now is the direct mail as far as your marketing strategy. It's where we're spending the most amount of our money. I would say you know, the thing with some of these Midwest cities is like at a certain point, like how many landlords are there? Like you're mailing every single landlord in the whole city. And yep. so we're kind of getting to the point now where we're going to, we, we have to expand and that's, yep. you know, going, going to the mentorship side of things. And I would also say the number one thing that's impacted my success in my business is getting a good mentor period. Mm-hmm. No question there. It's so far ahead in terms of its positive impact there's nothing else that's even close. So I know you're a mentor. So I just want to say for those people out there listening, like if you don't have a mentor, talk to Marcus, talk to someone else that you respect, like that'll help you get ahead so much faster. It's like putting, you know, it's like warp speeding your business is what I found from that. It's And what I tell people, it's like putting gas on that fire because Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a mentor and one of the things that I was doing in the in the beginning. And before I got my mentor and I had a level of success, but I was spinning my wheels on certain stuff. When you talk about the text messaging, I completely understand, you know, we were pushing text messages because at the time it was like, just get leads in the door, get leads in the door. And we were getting all of these leads, but there were a bunch of garbage leads where our Mm -hmm. team had to filter through. And it's like, all right, you're working on this garbage, but we have quality leads that's coming in that's sitting in the pipeline that we can't get to because we're, we're trying to dig through all of this trash. Mm -hmm. So my mentor helped me filter, filter through that, you know? Mm -hmm. So now we use our text message platform, primarily as, as a follow-up drip system. So guys, you hear us out there, you know, we spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours, you know, trying to figure this stuff out. There's no reason for you to go out there and try and reinvent the wheel, you know, once, since we got everything already dialed in. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, guys like us that are consuming a lot of different content, hearing a lot of people talk, it's easy to get swept up into the drama of, oh, texting's crushing it. Yep. Cold calling's crushing it. Like everybody's always saying XYZ is crushing it. Well, what does crushing it mean? What's how are we defining that? Because mm-hmm. I got, you know, now that I've started interviewing some people myself as well, like they're like, oh, cold calling's crushing. We've got six cold callers. And I'm like, Wow, that's a lot of cold callers. That's a lot of data. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, and we spend twenty thousand on direct mail. I'm like, wow, okay, that's a lot of money. And then they're like, yeah, we've never cracked a hundred thousand dollars in any given month. And I'm like, you have mm-hmm. six cold callers, and you're spending that much. So it's just like 
kind of come, what we're trying to do now is come back, get out of the drama into the data yep. and look at our numbers and be like, what works year over year, month after month? Let's focus on that and focus on having less quantity of leads, but higher quality of quality, leads and yep. really working those hard, you know? Yep. And so that's the sort of the shift that we're making. And especially with the market shifting too, like we got to do more with less. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And like you said, you know, a lot of people it's more, 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 but more doesn't always equal equate to quality, mm-hmm. you know? And that was, that was one of the things that, that we were, that we were doing was, we weren't getting a ton of leads, but we were getting quality leads. And once we started going through those quality leads, it was like, okay, at first my acquisition guy, he was like, man, you know what? I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs, you know, but it was like, once a lead pushed over to you, you automatically knew, Hey, I'm getting paid on this versus mm-hmm. all right. I'm spending three weeks sifting through just to find one gold nugget. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, some people rather have ton of leads that way they can work them consistently um, mm-hmm. I just don't like to burn a lot of man hours. For sure. And like that. You, th- that burning out your employees thing is just, it's real. You know, if they have to go through 10 leads to find one good one versus 55, yep. that's a lot of calls to a lot of tire kickers. And you and I both know talking to tire kickers is so draining. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's, you Absolutely. know, it's just, it just depends on your strategy and your theory. You know, you can either way you can do it and be successful. I think that's just in our experience, what we're doing now. Yeah. And and the main thing is just be consistent, whatever direction you want to go in, just be consistent at that. Because once you're consistent, then you'll be able to look at those metrics and say, okay, well, this is what we did last year. Where are we at this year? Are we on pace to hit Mm -hmm. that, that benchmark or exceed that benchmark? But if you're not consistent, you don't know what's working, what's not working, things like that. For sure. You know, one thing that we just realized that's pretty interesting is we have a really Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, okay, cool. Our sales process is like, or our hiring process, I should say. Our hiring process is pretty dialed in. So we don't let many people get on our team because we give them a lot of opportunities to mess up. And if they do, they don't get hired. So mm-hmm. we got two really good sales guys. Our primary sales guy, he's, you know, putting up 100,000, 150,000 in, in individual months, one sales guy. And so we're like, oh, well, I guess this is sort of, maybe someone will do a little less, you know, a hundred or maybe 90 a month. Let's set the, set the goal up at that level. But this is where mentorship comes in and you're talking to your mentor and saying, Hey, we want to hire someone else. What should the expectations be? This guy's performing at double, almost triple of what some normal closers would be doing. And so what I realized is like, as we scale, We have to set expectations that are reasonable based on the baseline, not based on a one rock star, because we're going to constantly be disappointed if we're always basing our numbers off our one rock star. So that's just a perspective shift as we've tried to, as we're trying to hire on more people right now. And, you know, just something to think about for those other folks out there. It's, it's hard to, you're not going to find someone that's going to match your sales skills, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where it's hard for people to let go sometimes because they're like, well, I would have closed this deal and that deal and that deal. And it's like, well, cool. Then you're going to be working on the phones every day for the rest of your life. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. You're going to be limited to that one position and you're not going to be able to grow. So Chris, let's talk about kind of building that, that virtual wholesale funnel. So Uh as far as 
finding boots on the ground, like you said, putting a lockbox on, everything like that, because there is a strategy and a plan for that. So let's kind of let's kind of start there. So when you decided to go into Indianapolis, did you know anybody in Indianapolis, any boots on the ground or anything like that? So nope. So kind of walk us through that. Let's go back to, you know, when you got started, what did you do first? Once you finally decided, okay, Indianapolis is the place I'm going to be at. Yep, absolutely. So I actually ordered direct mail and I didn't even have someone in place yet. Once I got a couple leads in, found someone that was going to be a good, that I thought would be a good fit. And I offered to JV the deal with him. I said, look, you go take pictures, get the contract signed. And then I want you to also find a buyer. Cause he said he had some buyers turned out. Where, where did you, where did you find him at? Oh, I went on to uh, Facebook and then just Indianapolis real estate investors. Like you can okay. do so much through those groups. You yep. can find boots on the ground. You can find contracts, find buyers. Like the minimum you need in terms of contacts is available just on Facebook. Like you just got to go ask for it is what I found. True. True. Mm-hmm. That way. And I, and I worked with a couple of JV partners and it, it, that was always the kind of the same setup. I would try to get it locked up. Once I learned about DocuSign, we would DocuSign the contract and then I'd send them out to take pictures and then they, they would find the buyer. And so okay. that's what I was doing for a while, but I was splitting the profit 50, 50 yep, and I yep. was paying for the marketing. Yep. So when I had a W2 job and I was making decent money, like that was okay. But then once I wanted to quit, I was like, I can't give up 50% of 50%, my profit. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I hired on a family member. She started doing sales for me so that I could not be in it every single day. So she starts locking up deals, but no real sales process. Mm-hmm. And then me and my JV partner were like, we got to get some sort of training going. So we did that. We got John Martinez, REI Sales Academy. Okay. Uh, so we bought that course, learned that start using some of those processes, training and all that. Um, and you know, it was just still very inconsistent is the reality of it. You talked about consistency earlier and it's like, we didn't have daily trainings, which we have now. We didn't have weekly one-on-ones with each employee where we review a sales call, which we have now. We didn't have outside sales call review that we pay for, which we have oh, now. Okay. And it's like, now that we have all that stuff, like everyone when everyone is doing the exact same thing in terms of their process on the phone, you can have accountability. But if yep. it's like, oh, Jim does it that way, Sarah does it that way, it's hard to really hold anyone accountable. accountable. So we didn't yeah. have that accountability early on. And so we had a family member, then I, you know, I brought a couple of other people on, but it was still like me making it up. Okay. Yeah. And I finally brought on my sister Julie, who's our director now. And I just took the book traction, the EOS mm-hmm. model, which I know you're familiar with. Yep. And I just said, you're going to be the integrator. And she said, what's the integrator? And I said, I drew like that little, that chart, you know, chart, that says yeah. like visionary integrator sales that, and I just circled vision integrator. And she was like, what does that mean? What, what does like, it mean? I don't know. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I gave her the book and she implemented that. And um, so that helped us a lot the traction. I think that when you're starting okay. out, yep. do you guys use the traction model at all as well? Yeah. Yeah. Genius. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. So that's just, that's such a game changer, especially the daily meetings, the meeting pulse is what they call it. And so we actually have two of those now we have a one for acquisitions where there's okay. a mini training and they meet, and then we have one for dispositions in TC. So they're two separate meetings now every morning. Okay. But once we implemented that totally changed things. And then ultimately we got in with Tiffany and Josh high 
They do results driven as their company. And so there are current mentors. And um, we finally had like just documentation of like, this is what these people say in this situation, you know, this is what your closers need to say. And then we have this follow-up specialist role that we have now. And their whole goal is to go through leads that have either been, you know, maybe touched once, but no one got a hold of them. Maybe they're mm-hmm. lightly cold. Get mm. them on the phone, qualify them and say, do they have urgency? They have motivation. And then if they can get a, I, I don't know if they ask ballpark price at the front, but okay. they get a couple of motivating qualifying tra- questions. Yeah, exactly. Qualifying questions. And then we live transfer to our closer who then takes them through a full, what we call a process call and make sure like that they're qualified for the offer. Then from there, and we, and we, we don't make a ton of offers like out, outward offers without hearing something first. Like okay. we're going to ask them in four to five different ways if they won't give us a number. And right. so here's, yep. here's a little, like a little hack for people is like you you can get a number out of people typically if you're willing to ask enough times. What do you think is a fair price for the house? Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, you know, if I was going to pay all the commissions and all the closing costs and you didn't have to worry about any of that, like what do you think would be okay with you? So I just asked it basically the exact same thing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, like what would you want to walk away with? So now we're kind of figuring in the mortgage and and then if they're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's just like, well, you wouldn't accept uh, 20 grand, would you? Right. So Throw out yep. that crazy number. <laughs> crazy like, low number. I would never do yep. that. It's like, okay, so you got some sort of idea some, of it. Yeah. Yep. Help me help you. And then the the last piece of this whole thing that has been really powerful is like before, this is probably the biggest piece in changing our sales process, man, that I would just say like our our sales numbers like probably went up 30 to 50% like in all of the preceding months when we did this. So before what we used to do is it's like, if I'm the sales guy, I'm negotiating directly with the seller, right? And I'm saying, yep. hey, oh, well, 150 is kind of high. Could you do 130? Can you work with me? Can you work with me? I'm the adversary of right, this person. Right. So now what we do is we talk about the funding partners and we say, well, I got to go talk to the funding partners and like, they're not in a very good mood today. And like, I just think this is a little high. Like, you know, if I can go get it approved though, like, if they're going to want you to sign today. So it's all about them. It's this outsourced mm-hmm. body, which is just my sister, you know, yep, but yep. it's this outsourced body that now like I'm on your team. Mr. Yep, I'm on your side. I take it's, the responsibility off of me, mm-hmm. put it on someone else. Yep. 100%. So that's been a game changer. I know there's, I, I got a lot of things I said in there, but you know, processes, like sales tactics at work have been the biggest things and just being consistent. Like you, you've said this so many times already in this interview, like it's about being consistent. It's about being consistent. Yep. And it is like, if you have a flavor of the week, new thing you're doing with your people, they're going to stop trusting you. Trusting. Yep. yep. So, so we try to like, I of course want to do a million things. And that's why you have an integrator. Cause you have a million things as a visionary and it gets filtered through. And then only like one makes one it out. thing. Yep. yep. <laughs> but it's one good thing, you know? <laughs> right. Cause, and that's, that's one of the problems of being an entrepreneur because in the middle of the night, you get all of these crazy hair brain ideas and you're like, man, that'll work. This'll work. That'll work. That'll work. But then, like you said, when you have that filter process, they'll be like, look, that's not going to work. That's mm-hmm. not going to work. Maybe we can try this, mm-hmm. but I think if we, if we implement this, it'll work, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's very, very key because I'm, I'm that way, man. I wake up 
you know, 12 o'clock at night, writing down ideas, then right. three o'clock, writing down ideas. And then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. But at three o'clock you were like, I'm a G ge- I'm going to be the next Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm a genius here. I figured it out. Nobody else can think of it. Right. So <laughs> yeah. let's do this, Chris. Let's take a brief break hear a word from my sponsors. And when we come back, let's talk about your team. You know, how many people you got on your team? What are those roles? Because I know you were talking about follow-up specialists, which I like because we don't have that in place. And I think that that is very, very integral and in closing some of those deals that just kind of get left behind. So mm-hmm. let's hear a word from my sponsors and we will be right back. Finding real estate deals can be a challenge, but with the batch leads, it doesn't have to be Batch Leads has created a one-stop solution for all your real estate needs. So you can find more sellers, close more deals, and maximize revenue. Batch Leads offers a comprehensive suite of lead-generating tools that cover text messaging, skip tracing, finding comps, and much more. Batch Leads help you simplify, manage, and organize all your data in one place. Batch will help you stack your lists and identify properties that appear on multiple lists and have multiple distress indicators. These sellers are likely to be highly motivated and eager to sell. Get the most powerful and complete lead generation platform in the industry. Locate sellers, buyers, and lenders nationwide in seconds. Go to batchlead.io and use promo code WELOVEEQUITY. Are you tired of seeing others becoming successful real estate investors and you just don't know where to start? You see all the Instagram posts of others being successful. You see the Facebook ads guaranteeing instant success. You look at tons of YouTube videos and you even attend seminars just to be tricked into 10, 20, or even $30,000 courses. Well, with the Deal Finders Club, my husband is here to change things for you. Have you said to yourself, I'm deadly afraid to talk to sellers and I have no confidence. I don't know where to find motivated sellers. I don't know where to get a contract from. I don't know how much to offer the seller, let alone where I'm going to get the money from to close the deal. Well, in the Deal Finders Club, Marcus and his partner, Mike, are going to show you how to overcome all those challenges and more. Find out how by going to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. We'll see you inside. All right, guys, we are back with Chris Gould and we are talking about virtual wholesaling. And he gave us a lot of strong tips so far, man. So remember, this is the halfway point. Go back, rewind, listen to it again, because I guarantee you there is something that you missed that you overlooked. So, but going forward, Chris, kind of tell us about your team, because I know starting out, you were a one-man band trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. When did it click to where you said, you know what? I got to bring somebody else to help me out. You know, was it mm-hmm. six months down the road? Was it a year? Was it two years? Kind of where, where were you at in that point? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think it goes back to when you first start your journey, knowing where you're trying to go. And for me, that time freedom was just, it was at the core of what I wanted. I didn't want to have to go in every day. I didn't want to have to grind all day long. Mm-hmm. And I just had this belief that I could do it without that. So even when I was one man banding it, I knew that's where I wanted to get to. So as soon as I got a little bit of money from some of these deals, Mm -hmm. it's like I could have technically probably just done my my nine to five and then done three hours of work or four hours of work every night and still made it happen. But I hired early because 
I was just like, this is, I didn't do this to have a second job. I did this because I want to build a business. And businesses th- that run when you're not there are real businesses. They're not True. just second jobs. So, no. so I'd say probably, you know, there's that whole beginning part where it was all crazy. Once I actually got settled in Indianapolis, it took six months. It took okay. six months. And then I hired my aunt and she started from there. And I was able to just manage her. And so that's where I started understanding about leveraging your time. Mm-hmm. And when you've just been working for someone else in like, you know, trading dollars for hours, it, it takes a little while to break that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like to not take the, what we call is like stealing the ball from your people. So mm-hmm. as that visionary, you know, you, like I've had times before where I like hear a call and I'm like, Hey, like, let me talk to him. <laughs> let me talk to him. Yep. Let me, let me help you out here. <laughs> and I get on the phone and my sister, who's now the director is just like, after she's like, literally never do that again. And I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but so in terms of the team and the process, how that went. So I hired her, hired my mm-hmm. aunt. And so it was just me and her for a while. Okay. So then my next hire was a guy, was a full-time boots on the ground. And this was an older guy. Didn't really know how to use technology. Was the only person that replied, replied. to my job ad. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I guess you're all the right, number well, one candidate. The one. Yep. <laughs> And I mean, he like really couldn't use a computer and I'm trying to get him to build MailChimp, you know, uh-huh. uh, emails to send to people and stuff. And, you know, I think that that's another big mistake that you make in the beginning. Like, oh, let me hire my buddy, Jim. Let yep. me, oh, let me get my yep. aunt to do it. And it's like, that's okay for a while, but also the headaches you create by not actually vetting people and making sure they're the right fit, you're going to regret that later. And I, I I think of it in terms of like the the high level of discomfort of like, saying no to a lot of people, but then you have very low to no discomfort once they're actually on your team versus you skip it and you just hire the first person you meet essentially. And then you've got this annoyance that just happens constantly because they're not doing Mm -hmm. what they say they're going to do. They're not showing up. They can't perform. You're doing their job for them. I ended up building all this guy's emails. And then I'm like, what am I paying you to even do? Exactly. Exactly. And then you become frustrated. You know, you're frustrated because you're like, this guy can't figure it out. He won't do it. But you already knew that going in that this person, yep, couldn't do it. Yep. So, okay. So you had your aunt and then you had your boots on the ground guy. Mm -hmm. And then, then what? So I think I actually hired my, my younger sister. I hired a VA to do sales. So I had a team of four and no deals were coming in. So I'm like, okay, I need to start getting back in this myself. I I got two removed. So I end up just randomly coming across a deal. We're like, I think I probably had like 10 grand left in my bank account. I'm like, we're going out of business. This is over. (laughs) (laughs) I get one deal that I hold. I take all the money out of my personal bank account, business bank account. I bought this house for 15 grand and then I sold it for 40. It was just, it was falling apart in Noblesville, Indiana. So I use that 25 grand and my old, the, the oldest girl in our family, Julie calls me and is like, I read rich dad, poor dad. I get what you're trying to do. Let me come work for you. She's the most organized person I've ever met. She's the one that like has her clothes, like color coordinated in order closet. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like six years old. And she's like, you know, can we go to office Depot? Cause that's where she buys her toys. Cause it's organizational supplies. All right. Okay. (laughs) So, so anyways, I hire her and she implements, she helps us implement traction. And that big part is like, you know, doing the people analyzer. So you come up with your core values, which for us Mm -hmm. are with integrity, seek growth, radical candor, extreme ownership, and enjoy showing up. 
And then you say, you know, are they a plus or are they a minus? I know mm-hmm. you know this, but for the people that don't know what that is. And then do they get it? Do they get their position? Do they want to do it? And do they have yeah. the capacity to do it? To do it. So then we we are like, okay, I guess we got to do this. And it's like, we went through and it's like, no, 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 no. For all for our employee, like they didn't align with the core values. They didn't get it. They maybe wanted it, but they didn't have the capacity to do it. So yeah. we were like, man, we have to overhaul this whole team. So yeah. we end up, you know, like I said, signing up with Tiffany and Josh, having this new process in place. And they just gave us scorecards. And we so we had this accountability now of like, we're all agreeing going forward. We're all going to say this and this and this and this order. And we all, you need to fill out your numbers here. So once that accountability sets in, it's very difficult for people to hide their underperformance. Yeah, when you're just wild westing it, you don't really know who's performing and who's not other than like, oh, they brought in three contracts. And it's like, okay, right, cool, right. good job. But that's not really that's not enough of a metric to manage. Mm-hmm. Like that's just once it finally happens. But then that when you don't right. get a contract for three weeks, it's like, oh, well, what happened? Like, well, you we weren't tracking You're anything right. along right. the way, you know? So now the current structure of our team. So we end up letting my aunt go. She retired. And then that okay. older guy, we let him go. But, but me and my sister were still there. We brought on Zach Hardman, who's a beast. He was a captain of his baseball team in college, but okay. just like the hardest worker. But he, when we look at that people analyzer now, it's like, yes, 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 all across. And, you know, so then we, then we have Caleb, who's the follow-up specialist teeing up deals for Zach all day long, teeing him up, teeing up, teeing up. And then we have Jennifer. So that's my youngest sister. She does dispositions. So, you know, I'd love to talk to you at some point about the dispositions process in a little bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. but uh, but then we we had a transaction coordinator who actually just resigned recently. She just ended up not being a good fit for the company. So we've got TC Dispo, the two sales guys. Julie does marketing, and then she manages the team. So she does the sales coaching with them. And so I, I mentioned this earlier, okay. but we do a daily sales training, and I think that's really important to just do something quick and easy. And so you just review one part of the sales process. You know, deal killers. Let's talk okay. about deal killers. Let's let's role play it for 15 minutes. Let's talk a little bit about the deals and like, what do we have planned for the day? Go do your thing. Okay. Then we have a one-on-one where we listen to a whole call with these people, with our employees, mm-hmm. listen to a call, break it down, talk to them about it, talk about where they need to improve, what they're already doing good. Um, and we actually have, now we have rocks for each employee. So like building okay. a glossary of all real estate terms, you know, writing out the process for building an email, whatever it might be. But so we're working on that with a one-on-one. And then we, and then, like I said, we have that sales call review where our guys upload their calls and then they get coached by like a, a, an actual sales coach. Well, that's all that they do all day. So, wow. okay. so we've got all that in place. We do a week in review every, every Monday. And we actually, pardon me, we, we're doing a, a level 10, like you have in, in, in traction in the EOS model. Mm-hmm. So as people have issues come up throughout their week in their role, right? This thing in the CRM isn't working. They just put it on the issues list. So then we have a team meeting to discuss what do we need to do with things that are happening? Right, hey, right. we're getting all of our deals have five investors on them. Issues list. So it lives in one place instead of in the moment coming in, Right. hey, can I talk to you? Yeah, I'm really struggling with blah, 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 blah. Right. It's like, we need to oh, fix this. When you're doing that, like Julie as the manager, her time is it's so herky-jerky. She's working on something. What can I help you with? Okay, now I got to pick up momentum again. What can I help you with? So we're trying to 
take the issues and talk about them in one place in a very efficient manner. Because as you know, man, like you can drown in all the little minutia details. And then next thing you know, like, are we really being effective and efficient, you know? Or we, are we talking about problems too much when we should just be, let's put it, let's put it in a box and we'll revisit it we'll, at, at yeah, a certain point. At a certain time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this, Chris, cause, cause we are going to get to the dispositions before cool. we wrap up. So when you were building out this team, mm-hmm. about how many deals were you guys doing a month before mm-hmm. you started building the team? Mm-hmm. And then how many did you start doing after you built the team? So I'm looking in terms of number of deals, it's a little hard. I, I would say maybe three to five, because like, I'm thinking in terms of revenue in my mind. Yeah. So okay. before I had an actual team in place, we would be, I would say 30 to 50K a month, kind of going between some months we would make zero, some months we would make 60. It was okay. totally sporadic. There was no predictability to it. Um, so that was that was what our numbers would be like. We might get a package. So we'd get seven mm-hmm. houses and then it like way over inflates our numbers. Like okay. I don't look at packages, like packages are just something you get lucky with. Lucky I think. with, yeah. You know, like yeah. you can't say, oh, we crushed it in July. It's like, well, you really only got one deal one that deal. happened to be seven yeah. houses. We actually didn't do very good in July, you know? Right. So, but yeah, I'd say 30 to 50 K caught three to five deals a okay. month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So now we talked about the acquisition side, you know, how you guys are finding the deals with the direct mail and the cold calling and everything like that. Now, as far as the dispositions, what's that disposition process? How does, how does that look? So yep. once that property is under contract, mm-hmm. start, where does it go? For sure. So I think that TC and dispositions need to be work together, work together. And I think most people, you can have TC and dispo be the same person up until about 15 deals. After that point, it becomes hard to work, actually work the dispo process well, but up to 15, you can have someone do both. And I would recommend that for most people that are starting. If you can get one acquisition, one dispo, um, that you can do a lot with those two people alone, but going to the process, we get a contract. We have a couple of different inspectors. So we're always interviewing for inspectors and we want to create a list of them. They get a group text. Hey, we have a inspection at this property address. The first person to respond gets it. They go out, they have to take at least a hundred pictures. And if they don't take good pictures, they have to go back. They have to submit a form that just says like, Hey, is the roof leaking anywhere? Is there any, do you see any cracks in the basement? So it's it's a simplified form. They go out. If it's vacant, they'll put a lockbox on it. If it's not vacant, obviously they can't. Right. Okay. So, so from there, you have to realize we've already got the property under contract before we've even seen it. That's very okay. important for virtual wholesaling because when you're physically wholesaling and you you know this, Marcus, when you go to a house and you say, I can give you a hundred grand. And then if you have to come back and renegotiate for any reason, they're like, what do you mean? You saw the house saw the already. House. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the power of virtual wholesaling is like, I'm signing it up before I even see it. Then we take pictures. Then we share it with our investors through MailChimp. And mm-hmm. we say, you know, here's the price. We give a ton of detail, links to comps. We give pictures. We give a video. We talk about the age of all the different appliances, the roof, et cetera. And if we don't know what we say, we don't know. Okay. We require $5,000 non-refundable earnest money for the first time, guys, 2,500 if you've bought a bunch of deals from us before. So we send that out. So we've done our initial inspection and we've already told the seller ahead of time that we will have to do a funding partner walkthrough at some point. Okay. So 
we're working with our investors at that point and just deciding like, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep this house ourselves, which is a small percentage of the time, or who are we going to give it to? So we'll get a couple of people interested in the deal usually. Okay. And then what we do is we, if they, if there's people in the house, we have to set up an investor walkthrough. So let's say we set up an investor walkthrough for Wednesday. They're going to go to the house with our inspector that was at there at the first yep. walkthrough. He's going to go to the second one and be that barrier so that they're not asking weird questions or just being inappropriate, right? right. Trying to go behind our back, whatever. They go walk through the property and then our dispositions person sends an offer deadline email that says, you need to have all offers need to be received by 5 p.m. on Thursday. And so that's what we send out. Now, some okay. people call us and say, well, just tell me what the highest offer is and I'll yeah, give you yeah. more than that. <laughs> and what we just have to say is like, well, I'm sorry, but that's not fair to everybody else. Right. Because then, because now if I give you the, I tell you what it is and you beat it, don't I have to go tell them what you them, did? And like, I don't did. want, yeah. just tell, run your numbers and whatever you feel comfortable with, let us know. And so that's really powerful. I found, you know, it, you're, you're not as buddy, buddy with your buyers, but ultimately like, I don't want to be buddy, buddy with my buyers right. business. And like being buddy, buddy usually means me getting a bad deal. Bad deal. Yeah. So, you know, I, I look back and when I did buddy, buddy deals and I was like, okay, fine, I'll give it to you. And then I get an offer for 15 K more three more, hours later. Yep, yep. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing? You know? So now, because I'm not in that role, this is again, the power of removing yourself from the roles within the business. We have a Jennifer doing dispositions and she's like, I will get in trouble if I accept an offer before the offer deadline. And so they're like, okay, I guess it's not even her choice. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. Now here's, here's a little tip. Even if you only have one buyer interested, you still set an offer deadline. So it creates a sense of urgency as well with your buyers. Yep. So whether we have 10 or we have one, we follow the same process every single time and we set an offer deadline. And we've had times where an investor that really wants a deal will offer us like 20K over asking even though they're the only investor, but they really want it. So you never mm -hmm. know how it's going to work, but this is like you said, consistency. When you are consistent with your process, like it, it will bear fruit and it makes your life easier. And so True. that's how we do the dispositions process from, so once they, no deal is anybody's until we have a receipt of earnest money. So earnest if it's a Saturday, money, yeah. They're like, oh, I can't wire it till Monday. It's like, yes, you can. You can wire it today. Send me a screenshot of the thing. Screenshot like, of the wire. Yep. You, if people that say like, oh, I can't do it till Tuesday because Monday's a holiday and it's like a Friday. I don't, I'm immediately like, cool. You're trying to wholesale this. You're doing something yep, weird. Yep. You're trying if to you're tie serious, it up. Try and tie it up. So that's our dispositions process. And then TC just picks it up from there. And we have what we call the 72 hour rule. And we talk to the seller every 72 hours, no matter what, while we're leading up to things just to be like, Hey, you good. Hey, here's an update on what's yep. happening. Title works processing. We, we got funding approved. We're all good to move forward. Do you need a ride? So that what I did in the past sometimes is like, we wouldn't check in with them until like, so maybe we're like, cool, we're going to go. We get it assigned, but we can't close for 20 days for some reason. Yep. We don't talk to them for 20 days. And then we're like, hey, closing's tomorrow. And they're like, oh, I signed with someone else. I, I hadn't heard somebody from you. else. Yep. And you're yep. like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had I had that happen before where 
we were just, we had a good conversation with the seller. Everything was in escrow. And we told them, we said, Hey, you know what? Closing is going to be on this date. We'll give you a call probably a week before. And it was just like, all right, this one is already done basically. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it comes before closing and the attorney was like, Hey, you know what? We can't get in touch with the seller. When was the last time you talked to the seller? It's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. you know what? Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked to the seller and then come to close. They're like, well, you know what? They, somebody else has tied this property up. So then it's banter back and forth. No, it's my deal. No, it's my deal back and forth, you know? So Mm -hmm. guys, that's a pro tip. Always check in with your seller. Like Chris said, every 72 hours, just even if it's, Hey, you know what? Just checking in with you, letting you know that everything is going great. We just mm-hmm. talked to title company and we're on track. That's it. Absolutely. Something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. That's a great tip. So man, great stuff, Chris. Dude, dude I'm going to have to have you back on the show again because we, we, we kind of went high level real quick, but it was good stuff, you know? Mm. So let's do this. We'll, we'll plan a date to have you back on at your convenience, man. But before we kind of give some words of encouragement to those people that are starting or struggling, Hey, you know what? I'm, you know, doing one deal every other month or one deal every three months, talk to those people and Mm -hmm. let's just give them some words of encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been there. I've been doing one deal a month and that's where you got to paint a vision for your future. Like, what do you want for yourself? I think sometimes we get caught up in just wanting to make 10 grand Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then you get that. And and if you're listening to this and you're in that position, you know, it's not that fulfilling to get 10 grand in your pocket because you know, there's more that, that you want. So what I would recommend doing, and this is something I did early on, I wrote out like, what does my perfect dream life look like? What is the setup? What does my team look like? How much money am I making? And you know, I, I wrote that and I just literally folded it up and I put it in my wallet and I would look at it sometimes. You know, you could do this with mm-hmm. your vision board as well. But I think what helps you push through the tough times is having a vision for your future. So if you don't have a clear vision for your future, sit down with a pen and paper, go to Starbucks and just dream, 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 dream. And then, you know, look back on that. And once you make your next 10 grand check think, am I spending this money in a way that's helping me get to that vision for my future? Or am I wasting it on like some instantaneous pleasure of the moment? And so that'd be my, my, my biggest advice. In addition to just like, like you said, Marcus, you just got to be consistent. Like what separates me from the people that failed along the way? I just kept showing up every day. And even if I only did a little bit, I showed up every day and over time, you know, now our business, like we cracked a million dollars last month and we're, we're doing really good with just wholesaling. And it's like, it's simply a matter of taking one tiny step every single day. And so if you're not doing something for your business every single day, you need to start doing that immediately because then you don't have a business, you have a hobby and you know, you're not going to get where you want to go with a hobby. So very true, man, Chris. I really appreciate it, man. Tell us what you have for for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the biggest thing that we're launching is something called Predictive Seller. So it's predictiveseller.com. And what we've done is worked with an engineering firm to design an algorithm. And what we're doing is we're taking the people in any given city that are most likely to sell off-market at discount to an investor. So that's a very certain type of person mm-hmm. that's willing to trust an investor to work off market. So we took that, we built an avatar 
and an algorithm. And we run the population of whatever city you're in through that and say, here are the people that look like a distressed off-market seller. And so we're launching that. We're taking we're taking early license requests. So only a couple people per city are going to get that. So okay. if you want to get in early and reserve your city, go to predictiveseller.com. I'm also giving away my wholesaling crash course. So especially if you're early on, um, okay. go to level10official.com and then you can go and find my course from there as well as some other podcast stuff. Just use the code podcast and then you'll get the course for free. It'll say it's a thousand bucks, but once you put in the promo code, it'll be for free. And then I've got a Facebook group called Wholesaling Mastery and I got to get you in there, Marcus. And interviews with people, different tips, anything I'm going through in the moment in my business that I think will be helpful to people, I'm sharing in that group. It's a great place to network as well. So if you want to join that, you can submit a request to join the group and love to have you guys in there. All right, guys. So you know what to do. Chris gave you all of the information, gave you some goodies. Make sure you use those promo codes and get active, get out there and start, start doing deals and not only do deals, but start setting up a pattern and Mm -hmm. a success track so you can be consistent at what you're doing. So Chris, I really want to appreciate you, man. After the recording, just stay on so we can chat for a minute, but we love equity listeners. Do me a favor get out there. Let's support Chris. Let's make sure you go and check all of his resources because you're speaking with a, or listening to a million dollar wholesaler right here, right now. So if you want to know what to do, why not listen to the people that's already doing it? So I appreciate you family. Thank you so much. And we will see you until next time. Thank you. All right, guys, that was Chris Gould based out of Denver, but doing deals in Indianapolis. Very, very good information there. You listen to how he started, what he did, all of the steps that he had to take, the things, the mistakes that he made, the things that he corrected in order to get where he needed to go. So remember, don't be prideful. If you're making mistakes, if you're not doing things right, you can always pivot. You can always change. And it's not too late to get where you need to go. So Keep that in mind. Remember, we want to keep continuing to give you this good content, this great content. So always go to MarcusEMaloney.com, get the updated podcast, or go to MRCS Maloney at YouTube to get the get the full videos. Thank you so much. And also, if you're looking for that mentor, you're looking for that person to push you along that journey, go to AZDFC.com. That's AZDFC.com. Not only me, but my partner, Mike, who has more years doing this than I do, we help you get to that next level. So again, go to azdfc.com. We would love to have you a part of the Deal Finders Club. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash Maloney. Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guests as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. 
Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.